0: We're going to be continuing on with the attributes of God. Tonight we're going to talk about one of his attributes. It doesn't get talked about a whole lot, um, but tonight we're going to talk about goodness. One of his attributes is he's good, and that may seem very basic. He's good, but let's dive into it tonight and see if we can unpack this a little bit more and... and, um, before we do get started, I do want to pray, and then we will jump into the attributes of God, talking about His goodness tonight, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful evening, wonderful weather, God. We thank you for the group of people that's uh, gathered here tonight, uh, hungry for your word, and we pray that you would give us understanding of your word. And Lord, we come tonight with uh, the desire to know you more, and we say that quite often. Uh, I've said it many times in my life, but. Lord, let it ring more true tonight than it ever has, that we truly want to know who you are, because we've said it a thousand times, if we truly begin to know who you are, then we will truly love you and worship you more deeply, because you are amazing, and you are holy. And Lord, we come to you tonight and ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. We started off the first time in our attributes. Y'all remember what we did? Immutable. God was immutable, unchanging. And we talked about His sovereignty. And then last week we talked about His incomprehensibility, that God is God and He is infinite. And we who are finite cannot fully grasp the infinite. And and, um, I thought this Quote here by Tozer, it was a good way to start this out as we couple both of the things of tonight and last week, we put them together. Here's what he says. He says, the goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. That's incomprehensibility. So we, we, we see all these attributes and we see them start to come together. Like, for example, we're going we're to hit on this a little bit more throughout the night. But when we talked about the first attribute of this series, we talked about his immutability. his unchanging nature. So that means that all of his attributes are unchanging. So that means that uh, he will always be incomprehensible to the fullest extent We will know some, we will be able to grasp some that our finite minds can grasp, but we can't know everything about God because if we could, he wouldn't be God. And that's never gonna change. He's always gonna be incomprehensible. He's always gonna be sovereign. That's unchanging. The world hates that. But it's comfort for the Christian that he's immutably sovereign. And then we know that he's immutably good. Now you may stop and you say, well, but there's been many times in my life or he didn't feel good or what was going on didn't seem very good. But this is why theology matters so much. This is why knowing the Bible matters so much because in those moments when you start to doubt God's goodness, you go back to his immutability. And you say, well, he's immutable in all of his nature and all of his attributes. And if that's unchanging, that, then if he's been good once, then he's always good. God is good. And that's unchanging. Even in the hard times, even in the good times, the goodness of God is present and unchanging. That's something that we have to keep in mind, and that's why theology matters. Taylor wears a hat. Theology matters. That's important. It's a reason for that. It's not just something to Like we've talked about before, just to win an argument and debate. It's something to sink your teeth into and to walk out every day of your life holding on to this theology and this doctrine. And that's no different with the goodness of God. Let's read some of these verses together. Maybe you've heard some of them. uh, Just to get a feel of what the Bible starts to say about His goodness. Psalm 34 verse 8 says this. And I guarantee you, a majority of people have heard this verse before. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 100, verse 1-5 through 5 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless him, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. There you see the immutable nature of his goodness again. It's everlasting. Psalm 106, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Do you see a theme already? What are you supposed to do in response to his goodness? Praise him. But see, this runs into a problem. Again, the theme of this tonight is going to be that theology matters. Why does it matter? Because if we've ever been in those times and those spots in our life where he does not feel good, what is the first thing that ceases in our life? Praise. It's the first thing that goes, isn't it? It's usually complaining, arguing, doubting God, maybe talking back to God, questioning God. But if we know that he's good and we know he's immutably good, then the praise should never leave our mouth. That's hard. See, that's easy to say. I can say this today, but what happens if tomorrow he's he decides, and it's something that doesn't feel good coming into our life. Does the praise continue? You see, this is why we have to know His nature and know that we are to praise Him because He's good. In our situation in his life, do not fluctuate His goodness. It's immutable. And that's why our praise should be constant, because He's good. Psalm 118, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. So you start to see the theme here. God is good. Taste and see, He's good. He's immutably good, praising because he's good. And then we're just going to go through here and just work through some of these, that uh, how God is good in different areas that he's good in. And the first thing we see that God is good to all his creation, his creatures, his animals. That's why I had you start in Genesis 1, because we see that after he starts to create different things, it's followed up by the words, he said it was good. He created this world and he created that which is therein, and he declared it good. Look, we see this in chapter 1, verse 4. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. So we see the light was good. Verse 10, called the dry land earth, gathering of the waters, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And it goes on in verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, and in verse 31, he sums it all up and says, For God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. God is good, and his creation was good. but He's good to this creation. Psalm 145 verse 9 and 15 through 16 tells us this. The Lord is good to all and His mercies over all His works. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And then we even go farther into the animals that God is good to the animals. Matthew chapter 6 verse 26 tells us that story as well. He tells us to look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap Gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. He provides for them, he takes care of them. He's good to his creation, he's good to the animals. God is good. And we mentioned this a little bit um, on Sunday. We were in Job and we went into Job uh, chapter 38. No, I'm sorry, this was last time we met on the attributes of God and about his incomprehensibility. But if you look in Job 38. you're going to see that at the very end of this, in chapter 38, starting in verse 39, and working through the whole chapter of Job 39, you're going to see that God provides for his creatures. He provides for the animals. And we get a feel of this in, in the last few verses of chapter 38. You know, This is where he's asking Job all these questions that Job cannot answer. And in Verse 39, he says, Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their lair? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wonder without food? That God is even good to the animals. Why would he be good to the animals? They're his animals. That sounds like a basic thing, doesn't it? They're his animals. All the fish in the sea. They're his animals. All the, the 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 things that crawl, all the things that walk, all the things that hop, all the things that fly, all those animals are his animals. He directs them and he guides them and he sovereignly controls their flight and their pattern and what happens to them. He is God over those animals. He's over them and he's good to them. He provides for his animals, he provides for the creatures. That's just another attribute or a showing of this attribute that sometimes we may overlook. That he says here that he does this to the lion and to their, to their young. And, and he goes all the way through chapter 39. He says God speaks of nature and its beings. And he, he talks about these animals and he talks about how he provides for them. Why would he do this? Because he's good. He's good to his animals. He's good to his creatures. <laughs> Psalm 104, verse 27 through 28, continues on the same pattern. It says, They all wait for you to give them food in due seasons. You give to them, they gather it up, you open your hand, they are satisfied with good. Speaking about his creation and the animals there. So we won't spend a lot of time on that, but I think it's important to know that God is good to his creation and he's good to the animals. He provides for them because he's good. This next one seems like it's a little bit harder for us to swallow. We're okay with God being good to His animals, right? We like that. But the next one seems a little bit harder to us is that God even shows goodness to unbelievers. This one's a little harder for us as Christians sometimes. But the Bible talks about two kinds of love, and there's a a general love. There's a benevolent love, which He shows to all of His creatures to all of humanity. But then there's a salvific love. It's a different love. We have to be able to distinguish between these loves. There's a benevolent love that he shows to the lost people, to those whom will not be in heaven. And we see this, right? Because this is what Matthew chapter 5 says in verse 45. It says, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He lets it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That God is even good in these ways to rebellious unrighteous people. That's what he says. There's a benevolent love that goes out to all of his creatures. So when he says, yeah, God loves all people, he does. There's a benevolent love that goes to all. But then there's a salvific love that goes to the elect. That's a different love. That's the foreknowing love. That's the election love. That's why we love him, because he first loved us. That's the salvific love. So we have to, we have to be able to distinguish this. And this is a love that he has, and there's a goodness that he has to the unbelievers. And, and we see this not only in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, but we see it in Acts 14. Because here these men, Barnabas and Paul, they've, they have just uh, been around this group of people, and they saw them do these mighty things. And these people come up, and they start wanting to worship these men. And this is an amazing account in Acts chapter 14. You can see this. Acts chapter 14, in verse 8, it says that there was a man who was setting with, had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul, and as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had had faith to be made well, sat with a loud voice, stand up on your feet, and he leaped up and began to walk. Can you imagine this? This guy never walked. And now his eyes locked, locked with or Paul here. And he gives him the command through the power of God. And he stands up and he begins to leap. Now, where did this power come from? Paul was an apostle, wasn't he? He was given the apostolic authority to do this. It says in verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come, become like men and have come down to us. And they begin calling Barnabas Zeus. You ever heard of Zeus? They start calling him Zeus. They think he's the god. And Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Imagine the scene. This man just gets healed. Now they're claiming that these are these mythological gods. Zeus and Hermes, and they set up, and they want to worship, and they want to have this big a festival to worship Paul and Barnabas. But look what happens and how we this group in these texts here is going to talk about the goodness that God has even on the ungodly. It says, But when the apostles, verse 14, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. And preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. So here we go. He did good. How did he do good? And gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So you see that even in these pagan places, even in these people who denied God, who were uh, looking for their hope in these mythological gods, that Paul and Barnabas here tell them that God still showed goodness to you. And how did he do that? He sent the rain. He let you have crops. He let you have this harvest that was in abundance. So we see that God is good to the unbeliever. How does he do this? Well, he allows the unbeliever. Righteous, he allows the ungodly to be married, enjoy marriage. He allows them to have kids and enjoy those things. He allows them to have good jobs, get promotions, go on vacations. He allows them to experience the things in life, those things that he lets them do. Those are the goodness of God in those manners. It's not a salvific goodness, but it's goodness nonetheless in this form. And here's what's crazy is that God is so good to the unbelievers sometimes in these manners that it makes the Christian start to wonder, doesn't it? all I see is a life of hardship. I'm serving you faithfully. And now this is, the re- this is what's happening. How come? You know, I've mentioned it before, and we, you know, Psalm 73 is such a vital chapter in the Bible, I think, especially when we come to these type feelings and these type thoughts, because we look at the ungodly, and we do, we get, we get a little envious sometimes if we're not, if we're really being honest. We say, well, God, I'm serving you faithfully, and now I have heartache. God, I'm serving you faithfully, and I'm trying to, to, to live this righteous life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I see them getting the promotion. I see them living the life of, uh, of goodness, and I see them living the life of health. And, you know, nothing ever happens to them. And here we are afflicted and in and turmoil. And, and why? I thought you loved us, God. Again, this is why theology matters. What do we know about the trials that come into your life? They're testing your faith, they're, they're for your good. You see how it's always rooted back to the Bible. It's not just a concept. It's not abstract. It's it's something that we live. But if we're not careful, we can be like Psalm 73. If you want to turn there with me, you can. This is why I didn't use the old magnetic slip because it'd be all over the place. If we ever come across those, we'll try to find a bunch of them and give them out. (laughs) They are nice. Let's read Psalm 73 down a little ways and tell me if you've ever felt this. Have you ever been envious that God is good and maybe seems even better to the ungodly at times? Let's listen to see what the Bible says. Psalm 73 verse 1 says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet come close to stumbling, my steps have almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, His people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is their knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked and, as, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Do you see what he's saying? They're prideful. They succeed. They have wealth. Nothing ever happens to them. And he says this, he starts to doubt. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and my, washed my hands in innocence. For I have stricken all day long and chastened every morning if i had said i will speak thus behold i would have betrayed the generation of your children so you stop and you think about that and you say well that doesn't look like that's very fair you wouldn't imagine a christian ever speaking that from the depths of their heart would you that's not fair it doesn't have to be just for salvation or election but it can be to what the world looks like they're gaining that's not fair well let's look and see if we want to be like the world because remember there's a goodness that's salvific And there's a benevolent goodness on all. Let's see what happens here. Verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Until I I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in a slippery place. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when aroused, you despise their form do you see what he's saying there let's not be envious god is good to them as well because he's a good god he's a loving god and if you're a christian all the material goodness and all the the health and all that those are great those are good things but would you trade it for the salvific goodness that he's put upon you would you trade that for anything in the world? No, you wouldn't. You live on the street under, a, under a, a bridge and you would have no food and you would scrape by and you would be sick all the days of your life compared to the, to the glory that awaits you. You see, this is the unbeliever's heaven, if you will. As good as it gets. Let them enjoy this Here. Let them have the the greatest job. Let them have all the cars that they can buy. Let them have the greatest houses. Let them have it all. This is their heaven. It only goes downhill from here. But to you and I, he does still show us goodness here. Even in the trials, he shows us goodness. And our goodness that is coming can't even be compared to what we're going through now. Hold on. Don't get envious. Don't get jealous. Know that you have a good God who's still good to the ungodly. You know, in a sense, their goodness is also bringing condemnation upon themselves. When God is good to them, it's actually heaping more condemnation on themselves. And you ask, well, why? How does that do that? Well, because God gives them something good and there's no thanks in it. There's no gratitude. There's no praise. There's no rejoicing and worshiping the God who gives you these things. To that which brings condemnation even farther of their ungratefulness and their pride and the list goes on and on so you see that god is good so if you look on the news you look in your community you look around you see people that you know that are ungodly and it just seems like they're prospering it's okay god is perfect god is good he's even good to those whom he does not save it's okay he's still good because he's been better to the believer because he's given this goodness in his mercy and grace. But then he goes and he says that God extends a special goodness to his elect. We talked about this briefly just a minute ago, but this is a salvific grace, salvific love, salvific goodness. God is good in his salvation. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, just so we can read this. We quote this a lot, but let's, let's read on how good God was to you, because the reason he saved you is what this text is going to tell you. is not because of anything you've done, not because of your inherent goodness, but because of his kind will and his goodness. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, we'll read down to verse 14. Listen to what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you don't believe in election, cover your ears. (laughs) Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. According to the kind intention of His will. That's the goodness of God. That's the reason that you're saved. The kind intention of His will. And what happens? To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the beloved. We know about that inheritance all through First Peter. "...having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things out after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also have, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed... Again, this speaks to eternal security. Listen, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise." who is a pledge, speaking of the Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. In those verses, you just heard of the goodness of God. Not in the material, not in the temporal, but in the eternal. The goodness of God on His people. Our minds cannot comprehend this. Our minds can't comprehend it. That this eternal God would show His good intention and His mercy and His goodness on us. That's, uncom- that's incomprehensible. You can't fathom this. What love and what goodness He gave to His people. In Ephesians chapter 2, going to the next page, we, we read it about it again, and I think it's just important. We've quoted this, we've read this, but like Peter tells us, even if you know it, read it again. Listen to it again and, and listen to the goodness of God. In verse 1, "'And you were dead in tresp- your trespasses and sins "'in which you formerly walked, "'according to the counsel of this, this world, "'according to the prince of the power of the air, "'of the spirit that is now working "'in the sons of disobedience. "'Among them we too all formerly lived "'in the lust of our flesh, "'indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, "'and were by nature children of wrath, "'even as the rest.'" But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, you'll notice that we weren't made alive before we placed our faith in Him. While we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come we may show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So not only does He supply us with the goodness of His salvific love and the kind intention of His will to which He has chose us, But then He takes us and then beforehand He prepares us for these good works that we're to walk in. Now, how does one walk in good works? We're gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but do you have anything good in you and me? Is there anything but but God that's good? Then how in the world can we walk in goodness? Because of the goodness of God. And in saving us and in dwelling in us. Paul's going to tell us a little bit later that there's only one thing that's good in any human being, and it's God. That may come as a rude awakening to some, since the majority of people in this world think that men are just, men and women are just more more often than not, just born good. We're all pretty good people. We just make some bad choices every now and then. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. So if we have any good works, it has to be from the one who's good that's living in us. It's coming from the source of goodness, not from the source of you and me. But because before the Holy Spirit dwells in us, there's nothing good at all. There's not one good thing you've ever done. But it's only after the goodness of God and His salvation and the goodness of God and dwelling us with His presence can we then, prepared for these good works, act upon these things. It all comes down to the goodness of God. We also see this in Psalm 65, verse 4 says, How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. How blessed is the one that God chooses to bring to this temple, to bring to his presence that we would enjoy and be satisfied with the goodness of God. That's a question. Are you satisfied with the goodness of God? Are you doubting God's goodness sometimes? It's hard to be satisfied with his goodness if you're doubting his goodness. But going back to our salvation, we know that our hearts are prepared, the soil is made right, and then the, here comes the imperishable seed, which is the word of God, and it brings us to life. And it, it's what we place our faith into. But look what Romans chapter 10, verse 15 says that the gospel that brings about this. This good news in our life, that's what the gospel is. It's the good news. You ever heard that? The euangelion, which is the Greek word for the good news. It's literally good news, but let me go a step farther. I think it's the best news ever, right? Good. You say good, and then you want it to be good, and the Bible says it's good, so I don't want to trump the Bible, but in our human words, it seems better than good. It's the greatest news of all time. And not only does he show this goodness to his elect, to his people, prepare them for good works, call them to his presence by his goodness, that we're satisfied with his goodness, but we also have the good news that brings us to this faith, that we profess our faith in this good news and in the gospel of Christ. Look what Romans 10 15 says. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. Talking about the gospel. It is the good news because it is from the source of good. It's God's news. It's God's gospel. It's not my gospel. It's not your gospel. It's God's gospel. And if he is immutably good and the message of salvation that is coming from him has to be good. It's the greatest news ever. If you're a Christian, there was a time where you heard the gospel And after God had already changed your heart, He'd already started this regeneration process, and then you hear the good news of the gospel to which you profess and believe. I ask you, was it the greatest news ever? The greatest news in the world was the gospel coming from the source of all goodness, God Himself. And then we see that John chapter 10 also speaks of the goodness of God. And toward his elect, what is John chapter ten? Anybody know? The Good Shepherd. He's the Good Shepherd, and what did this Good Shepherd do? He laid his life down for the sheep. That's why the Father loved him, because he laid his life down for the sheep. The salvific goodness, the salvific love by the good shepherd, bringing the good news, laying down his life in goodness to us that we don't deserve or neither can we comprehend. Do you see the goodness that's coming from God that we just overlook so many times? He is good to all, but if you're a Christian, He has been better to you and showed you more goodness and kindness than you could even imagine or even for a second claim that you deserve. What goodness by this good shepherd and what good news the gospel is and what good news is this goodness that He's lavished upon us. John Calvin says, Joy is a quiet gladness of heart as one contemplates the goodness of God's saving grace In Christ Jesus. You have joy in his goodness because of his saving grace to his people. He goes on, and the next thing we're going to talk about is God is good in his will and his plans. Parentheses, including trials. Who thinks that God is good and has no problem with God being good during the good times? That's easy. Let's be real, that's easy. But do you know what kind of faith it takes do you know what kind of trust that you have to have in the word of God and the nature of God and the being of God and the attributes of God to when your life is falling apart all around you and nothing feels good to lift your hands to heaven, to lift your prayers to heaven and say, God, you are good. See, here's what we do as Christians our emotions and our feelings and our trials do this. And what happens is we want to couple our emotions and our trials, we want to link them together with God's goodness. And when things are bad, God can't be that good. But when things are going really good, praise God, God is good. And it's doing this all along. God, you're good. I don't know how good you are. God, you're great. I don't even know if you love me. God, you're good. I don't know. And this is what we do. You remember the first attribute of God that we talked about? He's immutable. That means His goodness is unchanging. You may cry your eyes out in this upcoming week. You may get the most devastating news in the whole world that you've ever received. You may be crushed and may not even want to leave your house. And you may feel like it's the worst of the worst and all that you see is bad. Here's the honest truth, God is good. He's good, he doesn't change, it never changes. He never changes. His goodness is the same. That's why theology matters. Can anybody relate to those times in life? You know, I was thinking of, as preparing for this, I was thinking about some of the people in the Bible. I think about Paul quite often. You read what Paul went through shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, beaten, struck with rods, hunger, nakedness, trials and persecutions from the ungodly, dealing with things in the church. During all that, do you know what Paul? If he said it, I think he probably thought it a lot. But in the middle of all that, do you know what? the, The voice that should have been coming out of Paul's mouth should have said, God, you're still good. You're good. As the next time they hit him in the face or they strike him with a rod, God, you're good. It doesn't feel good, God. Paul, I'm good. I'm immutably good. I'm eternally good. I'm only good. If we know that God is good, then how do we doubt that anything that comes from him is not good? As Paul is seconds away from his beheading. Better yet, as he's setting in the prisons, it says that in prison more than not, if you were in prison for Christ, and suffered the things that he did, would you be able to sit there in your prison cell and say, God, you're good. I stood up for your name. You were so good. Is he immutable? Then he's good. You see, if we know that he's good, only good comes from him. It helps us in the times when bad is present in our minds. Moments away from having his head chopped off God is good what about Peter Peter crucified upside down guess what we can say about God when Peter is uh, hanging upside down God is good Stephen as he's getting stoned as they're gnashing their teeth and running at him for speaking the truth do you know what we can say about God's goodness in that time? Unchanging. I think about personal times in my life and the thing that I always go back to. If you've been around us at any at all, one of the hardest times in our life was when Coop, uh, from the zero to three years old, one to three mainly, because we didn't know there was really a problem, couldn't speak, had a lot of stuff going on. And I'm going to be honest with you, theology would have come in really great then. Well, I wish I would have known this now, or what I know now back then. There probably would have been a less nights of crying. Amen to that. There would have probably been a less nights of worry. There would have probably been a less nights of blaming God and questioning God. It was tough. Everything's fine now. Praise be to God. But if it wouldn't have been fine if it wouldn't have been fine could i still said god you were good could i said that i can't tell you the answer to that because i don't know it would be hard today too wouldn't it but do you know what looking back i can tell you that as i was doing this Up and down, up and down, up and down. God's goodness was immutable straight across the board the whole time. If you could just listen to him speak, if you could audibly hear the voice of God, he would say, I'm good. I'm only good. Whatever's going on, it's for your good. You remember that pesky verse in Romans 8, 28? They said we know that all things are working out for good for those who love him who are the called according to his purpose. He's good. I think about some of the earlier times in our church. Let me just get personal just for a little bit. I got a few examples. Y'all know, if you if you've heard me talk at all, the early stages of this church were very difficult. Very hard. You don't even know all the details. It didn't feel good. Boy, it didn't feel good. You've heard me talk about it before, this close, to to trying to talk my way out of just figuring something else out. It didn't feel good to come to church and have two people. It didn't feel good to wonder what's going on. It didn't feel good. Do you know what I can say about God and His goodness during that time? unchanging, immutable. It was good. One of my verses that I like is at the end of Mark chapter seven, and he has healed. He's doing healing in this chapter. And the people in the crowd say, look what he's done. He's doing it well. Everything he does, he does well. And that's the way that we could take our mindset into every situation. When I look back at Coop, I couldn't see it, but you know what he was doing during that. What he was doing during that whole time, he was working it out well. He was doing well. When the struggles and the trials of the church, he was doing that well too. And I know there are people that has have had a lot worse than us. I get that, and I can't comprehend some of the things that people have went through. I could never grasp that. But I know one thing: that no matter what it is, God's Goodness is unchanging. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it's not tough, but it's an anchor for the soul to know that this is the God that we serve. This is the God who's shown goodness to us in our salvation and who walks beside us and he laid his life down for us and he's working all things out to the good. This is our God and he's good. Let us never forget that. That he is good. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. His pleasure is good. His will is good. And he's working in his people to bring about this will. You may question what's going on in your life. You may question what God's intent is. But we have another example here in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 that describes his will. And look at the words he uses to describe his will. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've heard this verse before, I think. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will is good. God's will is acceptable. And God's will is perfect. Even when you're crying, even when you're devastated, even when you're heartbroken, God is still Good. and his plan is perfect and his plan is good he's good can that ever change no it can never change god is immutably good james 1:17 says every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow he's immutable there's no shifting of his shape there's no shifting of who he is changing of who he is he's immutable and all these things are good we just read Romans eight twenty eight, and we know. I always draw your attention here to the third word in this verse. How many times have you read this verse and doubted this verse? Look what Paul comes out and says, and we what? And we know. We know it. We don't have to question it. We don't have to doubt it. And we know that God causes all things. Let me translate this here for you really quickly. Let me break this down. All things. That means all things. To work together for good... There it is, for, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It's working out for good, even though it doesn't feel good. And it's in these times that Satan wants you to forget or doubt the goodness of God. We mentioned this earlier. When do you doubt the goodness of God? When bad things happen. When trials come. When heartache comes. This is when, this is when we are tempted the most This is when we are tempted the most to doubt God's goodness. I've been there. You've been there. We know this. We know this. God is good. He's good. Martin Luther said this once, and see if you could say the same thing. He was quoted as saying this. Listen, if God told me to eat dung from off the streets, got your attention now, don't I? (laughs) There's not too many quotes that start with that. But Martin Luther said, if God came down to this earth and looked me in the eye and said, Martin, I want you to eat dung off the streets. Not only would I eat it, but I would know that it was for my good. That's quite perspective there, isn't it? What a statement that is. If he told me to do that, as horrible and disgusting and unlogical that would seem. If God told me to do it, not only would I would do it, I would know it was for my good. Can you say that about things in your life? You see how theology matters? Everybody right now in this, in this room is in a different, I hate saying this, word, I can't, in a different season, I'm sorry, no, I'm not. I'm not charismatic. I'm not new. I'm none of that. That's a season. Everybody's in a different season. Some you're riding high. Some you're riding low. Some you're just hanging on. Some are going through good things. Some are going through bad things. Some are going through indifferent things. But whatever you're going through, it's from God. Who's the source of all good? So what does that mean about where you're at and what's going on? It's good. Do you see how we quickly have to look past ourselves? We quickly have to look past our feelings and we have to look to the divine nature of God. I don't feel good. Well, what does God say? This doesn't seem good, but what does God say? You may not see the reason, you may not see the purpose, you may not understand it. It may be incomprehensible to you, but it's good. What comfort that is to the believer, isn't it? It doesn't take the hurt away, but it helps us in these moments. Spurgeon says, remember the goodness of God and the frost of adversity. And when we are broken because of increased hardship, we simply have to trust in the goodness of God. That's an easy thing to say. That's a hard thing to do. He's doing it well. And it's all good. Everything that comes in your life is working for the good because it's from the Father who saved you, who showed you goodness. He's immutably good. Hold on to this in our lives. We walk out our Christian life. He's also good in his provision to his elect. We read James 1 there that he gives us uh, every good and perfect thing comes from above. We also see in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7-11, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and whoever seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? For if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give you what is good to those who ask? Now, this is not saying, go ask for a brand new car. These are spiritual things right here. You are seeking after the things of God, seeking for wisdom, seeking for righteousness. Those are the things that He freely gives. He says, if you ask for wisdom, He freely gives it. You hunger after righteousness, you'll be filled. He gives those things. This is the seeking that comes after salvation, not before. And he says, listen, if you're an earthly father and you see that even as a pagan or an unrighteous person, that you give good gifts to your children, how much more would your heavenly father? You know, the same heavenly father who showed the same love on you that he did his son. How would that heavenly father not give you the good things to his spiritual children? He's good. He's good all the time. Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And in Romans 8, 32, I hate to not read that whole chapter, but it says, He who does not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? He's good. He's good in our provision. He's good in our protection. He's good in guiding us as His children. You want to be closer to God? You want to seek God more? He's a good father. He'll give you the desires of your heart when the desires of your heart match the desire of his will. And when you know the Bible more and you seek to know him more, your heart will be changed to the conformity of his will. That's why your prayers become more precious and sweet because as you become a Christian and you understand what God desires and you understand what his will is, how do you know what his will is? The Bible tells us what his will is. Your sanctification. He wants you to grow in holiness. He wants you to grow and be conformed to his image. When you understand that it's about God and you being more conformed to his image than when you come to prayer, it quickly stops being about you and me, doesn't it? God, give me this worldly thing. Give me this worldly thing. No, no, no. God, change me and break me and stir me until I'm like you. Your prayer changes. And it says if you seek him with this heart and pray in his will. He's good in his provision to his elect. He's also good in his protection. Name 1-7 says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. We have the best protection in the world. He's guarding our souls, isn't he? These men we talked about earlier in the Bible, they died a very painful death, a very horrific death. You say, well, how could he be their protection? Well, he protected them along the way to get them to their point of the exact moment they were to die, but he protected them also in what? Their soul. Remember the whole thing in 1 Peter where he says he's the guardian of their souls? He's guarding your inheritance. Oh, but he's guarding you. He's protecting you. He's walking with you. And what protection that is, it's good. Psalm 31 says this in verse 19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. And again, we go back to John 10. Not only is he the good shepherd who showed goodness in laying down his life for us, but he's the good shepherd who leads us, as we see and also in Psalm 23 that he leads us for his namesake. It is him who protects us. It is him who fends off the enemies and the wolves that may try to attack. But he's also good in forgiveness. I'm glad for his goodness and forgiveness. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. Listen to this. What an amazing God of goodness and forgiveness. Says, Who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread out our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. He delights to show forgiveness. Psalm 103, I don't have this on your sheet, but let me read this to tell you about the goodness and the forgiveness of God. Psalm 103, in verse 8, while you're finding that, do you know why God forgives you? One, you confess, right? That's what it says, confess. But why does he forgive? Your goodness? Your worthiness of it? No, none of that. It says in 1 John, what does it say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Who's faithful? He's faithful. He's faithful to forgive those sins. Why? Because he's already paid for those sins on the cross. The just for the unjust. He's already taken... Our sin and that imputed sin upon him, and he's imputed his righteousness unto him. So when he's faithful, he's going back to the cross and saying, "Listen, he's paid for these sins. He's been the propitiation for these sins, and he's the just who died for the unjust, and because he's faithful to that work and he's faithful to that promise, he forgives those sins. How many times have you thought, and you said, "Well, if I'm good enough, he'll forgive me. If I'm faithful enough, he'll forgive me." What we've done is taken that verse and turned it into something that's not. The peace and the assurance that one has in the goodness of his forgiveness is not in the goodness of us, but in the goodness of his love and the goodness of his forgiveness. He says this in verse 8, "...the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities." For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He Himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. There's goodness in God's forgiveness. Does he have to forgive us based on us? No, but he's bound to the cross. He's bound to the work. He's, that is the faithfulness that he's bound to. And that's why he forgives us, because of the work of the Son. What an amazing gift of forgiveness that he shows upon us. And if you've sinned and stumbled today or this week or anything, let us not stop and let us not for one moment take for granted God's forgiveness. Let me give you an example. At the end of the night, you lay down. You're falling asleep. And maybe you utter these words. God, forgive me for everything I've done tonight. Amen? Now, was that hard for me to come up with an example? No. Because looking back in my life at various times, I've done that. God, forgive me. Please forgive me. Not understanding what it took for that forgiveness not understanding that it took the goodness of the good shepherd to lay his life down for that to be possible for me. The next time that you go to God and seek for forgiveness, I want you to think about the goodness that is in his forgiveness. Psalm 86 verse 5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. We could go on and on about the goodness of God, his animals, all creation to the, to, the, to the ungodly. He still shows benevolent love. There's a salvific goodness that he shows to the elect. He's good in forgiveness. He's good in the plans. He's good in his will. He's good in uh, his provision. He's good in his protection. He's good in all of it. He's good in his judgment. And he's good in his discipline. And the Bible tells us that those whom he loves, he disciplines. And that doesn't feel good sometimes, does it? Boy, it doesn't feel good to me. And you go ask these kids. Discipline doesn't feel good to them. But why does it do it? Why do we do it to our kids? And why does he do it to us? Is it for their bad? It's for their good. Even discipline in our lives, when we stumble and fall, is good. Because it's producing in us the characteristics and the progression that we need in our Christian faith. And when we get to the end of all eternity, those that are in hell, that wrath and that judgment that's poured out is coming from a good God. It's coming from a perfect God, a just God, a righteous God, a righteous judge. And that judgment and that wrath is good. You want to take it up a step farther we've mentioned this before if god puts you in hell rc said this before if if he woke up in hell tomorrow then he would say you're just but you know what you'd also have to say that every single second in hell and all the wrath of god being poured out for all eternally all eternity immutably being poured out by the righteous holy god it all torment. perfect and good, justice and wrath. That's hard for us to comprehend. Be perfect. He would be good because He's righteous and He's holy. And that's what goodness does. The last point that I want to make here on your sheet comes from a place in the Bible, a parable here, and it talks about the the one who, the rich young ruler who come up to Jesus. And we'll read this. We can see this in account in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 down. As a ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what do you call me good? Listen to the statement. No one is good except God alone. Well, that flips everything upside down, doesn't it? Oh, we're naturally good. We're inherently good. We make bad choices sometimes, but people, humans are naturally good. The Bible says totally the opposite. We're deserving of wrath. There's none who's good. None. Nothing is good. No one is good. No action without God is good. You can do the most heroic thing, but if it's not under the command of God and your motive is not to be pleasing and honoring God, then the Bible says it's not good. It has to have the right motive. I read, I heard this example one time where uh, there's a fire in a building and, and the guy comes out and, and uh, word on the street is that there's a kid inside and, and we see this guy and he goes back running into this burning building. Everybody's like, he's a hero. He's a hero. He's going back in there to save the kid and he comes back out and he's got his safe of all of his money and all of his treasures and the kid is left behind. See, we assume that he was going in for the good. We assume that his motives were good, but it wasn't. People can do stuff churchy. They can, they can do all things. They can trick everybody. You can give to charity. You can do all good things in this world that to the world's eyes. But if it's not under the command of God and your motive is not to please and honor God, it's simply not good. There's nothing good in God's eyes because God is good. God is only good. And if God is not dwelling in you, you have no good in you. That's the bleakness of who we have in our being before Christ. And we see this picked up. And and in Romans chapter 7, Paul elaborates on this. And this is what he says in Romans 7 verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Let that sink in just for a second. Before Christ, not one good thing dwells in you. And only after he saves you, does he dwell in you that makes anything good in you. There's nothing good in us, in our nature, in our being. It is God who's good. And the only reason that we are do these good works is because He's prepared for us to do them in advance and He dwells in us. Nothing is good in us except for God. Let that be a humbling experience. Romans chapter 3, verse 12 says, there is no one who does good, not even one. Not one. That's sobering. That's humbling. No one is good. No one does good. Only God is good. But God, who is all good, showed a salvific love to a group of people. And this good shepherd laid his life down, showed you this goodness and this kindness and this love. Now he indwells in you, and the God that is good indwells in you, and now you. Act out these good deeds, which you've been prepared to do, not because of you, but because of him. That's how we get to heaven, not on our goodness, his. We have no goodness. Do you see the theme here? It is God alone who is good. And if God alone who is good, we must know that he's immutably good. Let that sink in just for a moment. I think I'd seen this, and I think maybe Amanda had shared it this week on Facebook, and Sproul had said this before, and I thought it was good. Because we ask so many times, why does bad things happen to good people? You ever ask that? And his response was this, it only happened one time. Something bad happened to a good person one time, and he volunteered for it. It was the death of Christ. Because there's no one who's good. You say, how could that come to to these people? They're good people. No, they're not. Without Christ, there's no good in them. It's Christ who's good. It's Christ who makes us good and acceptable for the Father. It is only Him. So never let us ask ourselves again, why does bad things happen to good people? Without thinking that it only happened one time. The only one who was good was put to death. The Good Shepherd laid his life down to give us this love and this goodness. God is under no law to be good. He's just good. That's his nature. That's who he is. He's always immutably acts according to his character and his nature, which is internally and intrinsically good. He is not only the ultimate standard in good, but he's the source of all goodness. We talked about this that it's vital. It's vital that we know that he's eternally and immutably good even in the hard times, so we can trust and rejoice that he's never stopped or cannot ever stop being good. And in Psalm 118, verse 1, our response to his goodness tells us very simply we're to praise him for his goodness. When's the last time you just praised him for his goodness? Just being good. You really want to get crazy? Praise him for being good in the bad. That'll Test your faith. Because in our eyes, it's bad, but in his eyes, it's good because he's trying our faith and he's working it to our good. Now, I hope you see the weight of this because here's the deal. We all go through heartaches. We all go through trials. We all go through hard times. And there's going to be moments when times come like this and you're going to doubt God's goodness and I'm going to doubt God's goodness. Are you really good? Think about his forgiveness. Think about his grace. Think about his love. Think about his protection. Think about who he is immutably and eternally. And when you stop and think about that, it'll help you through those trials and it'll help you through life. So can you help me out as we close? Can you do me a favor? I've been waiting all day to do this. I need your help. I really need help. I need you to help me finish this up. I'm going to let you guys have the last word, okay? With what we've learned tonight, here's what we can say. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for you being good. God, you don't owe us one thing. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing I've ever done where you would show me one ounce of goodness. I don't deserve goodness. Which is what makes your goodness and your kindness and your love all the more incomprehensible God I'm sorry for doubting your goodness please change my soul tonight that I would rejoice in your goodness on the good days on the bad days and on the mediocre days God you are good We love you and we thank you for that goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.